This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 481, for November 4th, 2015. We're sponsored this week by Harry's and Red Hat. Hello, Macworld Podcast listeners, and welcome back to another episode of what we hope is an interesting exploration of things that happened in the last week and things that are yet to come. I am a Macworld senior contributor, Glenn Fleischman, and I'm joined this week, as always, by executive editor of Macworld, Susie Oaks. Hello, Susie. Hey, Glenn. How's it going? It's uh, today's good. Tomorrow, (laughs) (laughs) tomorrow, I will have a crew out pounding uh, 15 feet of two-inch steel rods nine times into the foundation of my house, uh, right where I have my home office. So that would be very entertaining. It's just for fun. There's no reason to do it. I just want. I just hired a crew because that's how I roll. (laughs) You get lonely there. Yeah, hundred-year-old house. Some guys with tools to come over. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not a brag to have a 100-year-old house. In New England, you're like, oh, my house is 500 years old. Like uh, Here it's like, it's a 100-year-old house. It's showing its age. It's in good shape. But one part of it is sinking very, very slowly, imperceptibly for a while, and then perceptibly. So I'm going to be involved in some analog hardware for the next couple of days as uh, piles are driven and brackets are attached and my house is stabilized. Very exciting. My house was built in the same year that my mom was born. So I took that to be a good sign. Well, your mother is 29, as all mothers are. So yep. that was, that's a very young house. Yes. Don't understand how I want to. And it'll be 29 forever. So. Exactly. It'll never age. Never, never age. <laughs> never grow. Never grow old. Uh, well, speaking of uh, trying to arrest the changes, uh, we'll be talking, actually, later this episode, we'll be talking about the Apple TV, which you uh, just reviewed. It's just out, the uh, new model. And I've got one. You got one. We're going to chat about that. But first, we'll talk about. Some, uh, you know, more contemporary news, some things that are breaking. And last night something broke. I mean, I was thinking about, uh, you know, there's this, uh, was it, not some Herald Bluetooth. It was some uh, Scandinavian king who stuck his throne in the, uh, on the beach and tried to keep the ocean from rising higher, right? Because he wanted to show his absolute power or maybe show the futility of trying to demonstrate absolute power. I don't know which. Well, Microsoft has a little problem. They launched this, uh, you know, OneDrive <laughs> service where it had this uh, this unlimited thing, unlimited cloud storage to Office 365 consumer subscribers. Well, <laughs> last night Microsoft got a little mad and they're taking their bat and ball and going home because they can't play with the big boys. Is um, you've read the, Have you read the press release now or the uh, blog post? Yes, I have. It's I mean, hilarious. it's... it's- well, I mean, they, yeah, if you put out an unlimited buffet, eventually someone is going to come along and make an absolute pig of themselves and ruin it for everyone. Um, but, you know, it's just storage. So I don't know. They didn't want to they didn't want to accommodate the pigs, um, the, the, the small amount of people that were hogging data. They said in, in a few instances they had um, they had people backing up numerous PCs, storing their whole movie collections, all their DVR recordings, backing <laughs> like up everything they ever TiVoed. And, and some users uh, got up to 75 terabytes, which is a lot. Well, I was trying to but do the math, But how many too. people could that have been? I mean... I, it says, well, it's funny because in some instances this exceeded 75 terabytes per user. And I'm thinking, there's one guy. There's one guy. You know, there's always one guy. Um, if you do the math... A Blu-ray, I think, stores about 20 gigabytes of data. I think the movies are on a single side, something like that. 75 terabytes divided by 20 gigabytes. That's almost 4,000 Blu-rays. So I'm like, really? Did somebody really? I mean, 
75 terabyte is a lot. So maybe someone had uh, an illicit collection or have they ripped all their Blu-rays? It's just, there's something that doesn't make sense there. But I mean, you know, you go into unlimited. Like my take is you got two kinds of ways um, to control or, or to set expectations. When you say unlimited, some people can abuse it because it says Unlimited. You didn't say there was a limit, right? This came up. Verizon had to do a, mm-hmm. a do a, an agreement years ago with their unlimited uh, mobile broadband plan uh, in New York State. They didn't. Uh, they wanted to put an investigation. They agreed to make changes without. You know, they weren't. They were not. I think ultimately sued. Nor was it a you know a civil whatever. Uh, but they agreed to change to to pay some penalties and change the terms. And this was back in the three G days. So Verizon was you know claiming it was unlimited. There are tons of limits. There were unlimited broadband on AT and T. Uh, yes. Mobile, right? You know, I have wired. I have unlimited my unlimited plan from AT and T from back in two thousand eight when I got my first iPhone, hey. and I still have it. And it's not really unlimited; they throttle it. But they've hey. gotten scolded by the <laughs> FTC or the FCC, one of those. You can use um, as much as you want as long as you can go. Well, now mad they've from said. The I think they now they're counting unlimited as like twenty two gigabytes. It used to be like three gigabytes a oh, month or five yeah. gigabytes a month. They'd start hassling me, but now they're like, okay, we just don't want you to be running servers off your cell phone data plan because that's yeah, 20, crazy. Twenty two is so pretty 22, good. Twenty two, yeah. Even on your most textingest month, like we, yeah, I could stream Netflix for days, and I, I don't think I'd get to twenty two. So. It's still they still made a mistake. They should have bought people off. They should have said we are moving out of unlimited, and they could have aggressively taken the hit and move people to you know grandfather them further into into better plans. And I keep getting tempted because those other plans are cheaper. I'm kind of they're just. Much. I just felt like they wanted their cake and eat it too. It's a typical corporate attitude. And you know, I, I would suggest heavily readers uh, of the New York, New York Times, <clears throat> excuse me, or listeners to this podcast should read the New York Times and read a series that's uh, out this week on arbitration. And it turns out, and I'm sure um, all the cell carriers are probably deeply involved in this now, that uh, when you sign up for most services, and including when you sign up, when you're involved in, uh, it can be terms of employment, um, you are. Because of a Supreme Court decision and uh, a really extreme interpretation of some laws that they agreed with, uh, you sign away all your rights. So basically, you can uh, class action suits have been almost entirely disabled uh, in cases. You can still sue, but you sue as an individual, and the odds of recovering anything, even if you win, are low. And arbitration is biased uh, in the documentation that the New York Times has is highly biased against companies because they pay for the arbitrator and the arbitrators don't get repeat business if they find against the company. So uh, important fine print. There's nothing you can do about it. We're all going to die one day and uh, (laughs) we're all doomed. But no, seriously, it means there's no recourse. So like AT&T probably did not have an arbitration clause when they did that uh, unlimited thing. If they did it today, if they had uh, signed up for those plans, the 2007 plans today, they could just change it and say, bah, and the courts would say, meh, and that would be it. That's the new corporate reality. But we need a, there's a legislative change that could happen, and I expect the New York Times may actually prompt a uh, legislative uh, uh, change that could prohibit uh, these arbitration clauses that uh, essentially disable consumer access to the courts for any reason, uh, no matter how extreme. So go read that wow. series. I'm sorry. It's very serious. but uh, uh, I don't think we ever actually talked about what Microsoft did, though. <laughs> well, let's say So Microsoft, by the way, has an arbitration clause. So there's nothing you can do about this. That's one reason okay. I brought it up. Someone pointed out last night, ah, arbitration. So what they did is they promised unlimited, and they found because people are exceeding it so much, they're uh, moving everything back. They're rolling you back. And so unlimited is now one terabyte, which is huge. Uh, they're getting rid of their 100 and 200 gigabyte paid plans. So they're going to only have a 50 gigabyte plan for new users. And the free storage is going down from 15 to 5 gigabytes. Uh, all users, current and new. 
and they're getting rid of a 15 gigabyte camera roll storage uh, bonus, and they're going to start rolling out some of these things uh, in early 2016. And apparently, they're going to uh, like. So they have notes. You know, if you're already a subscriber and you have excess of one terabyte, you'll be notified. You'll be able to keep the increased storage for 12 months. But if you haven't exceeded one terabyte, you don't get more now. You're sort of you're just done. capped. Yeah, yeah, and it all makes sense. Terabyte. I mean, the other thing that cracks me up though is uh, I just wrote a piece. Um, for you a and few the terabyte we- is for subscribers to right. Office 365. So if you subscribe to home, personal, or university flavors of Office 365, you were getting unlimited storage. Now you're getting one terabyte. And this will affect 0.0001% of all people. And that's why I, I, I wonder why they did this. They could have instead said... Uh, I think what happens is when you you give people an unlimited pipe, and we were talking about this earlier, sorry, but it's the, you know, some people will gorge at it. If you give people a reasonable limit, like I thought this was interesting, uh, the way Flickr did its pro plans. They're like, you get one terabyte for free. If you want a second terabyte, you pay. And a lot of, and there were, I don't think, I think there were a few other minor pro features. I can't even remember with Flickr Pro. I have a Flickr Pro account because I was starting to approach, I have hundreds of gigabytes of photos on it. And what they're really saying is your second terabyte is what you're paying for. And the fact is most Flickr users are using nothing like a terabyte. What it tells people is I can store pretty much everything I have. And if you're a serious photographer or pack rat, then you're like, oh, maybe I need to pay whatever it is, $99 a year. I can't even, so funny. Flickr's changed so much. I don't even know. But uh, so. Yeah, I was paying and then I didn't need to anymore. That's exactly it. Oh, it's uh, 50 it's like 50 bucks a year or something like that for Flickr Pro. So if you're storing that much and you're using Flickr, like it's worth it for me uh, for what I get from it. But the OneDrive thing, I mean, by offering unlimited people are like, hey, it's Microsoft. They have infinite amounts of money. Surely they can pay for me to upload my entire Blu-ray library or something. <laughs> I don't know. This is why we can't have nice things. I know, I know. But it's, I just think it's a funny thing. It's, it's like in the time when you have Apple just revised. Uh, so I wrote this piece for you a few weeks ago, and we were comparing uh, photo storage plans and uh, you know cloud storage plans, uh, but mostly looking at photos. And it was uh, iCloud prices, you know, got back in line with the rest of the world. Google's prices are lower. Amazon has a unlimited storage for sixty dollars a year. I think if you're Prime, it's cheaper. Um, I mean, Amazon isn't saying that they're not going to. Uh, that they're changing um, their unlimited plan yet. And I expect they already have some limits in what they say. Like there are certain things, uh, I mean, I think they have a reasonable uh, limit. So you can't store, yeah, I mean, it's photos, videos, files, and documents for $60 a year. I just got a year of it free because I bought a uh, Archer C7 uh, TP-Link router. And they're like, hey, you get unlimited everything. I'm like, all right, great, I'll sign it for that. I don't know if I'll I'll use it, but it's a good thing. Um, So... Yeah, it's just a strange. They're going in. They're they're going against the trend of Dropbox, Google, Amazon, and Apple by becoming so restrictive. And I just got to think that people were using the storage at such high levels uh, compared to what their percentages were that it was highly unprofitable. I don't know. Microsoft. Uh, speaking about high speed things, can I brag about my fiber again? Is it okay? Yeah, we should get a little theme song for this segment. It's Glenn, Glenn talking about fiber. About fiber. Uh, I'm sorry. No, actually, well, <laughs> it's interesting. Is um, this is a this is a backup story because uh, I've been using Crash Plan for years. I've, I've no story it. like a backup story. There ain't no story like that at all. Settle in, children. <clears throat> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a backup story. It's uh, Crash Plan's been. It, I really like the service. I like the the granularity of how you pick files and schedule. It's got a lot of settings. I like settings. Um, it lets you do a lot of really useful things. And I've had it save my bacon where I've lost files or I've needed a file version 
And even though I use Dropbox, uh, CrashPlan, I don't put everything in Dropbox, and CrashPlan is like another level of protection. It's cloud. It does peer-to-peer backups. You can do local network backups. It's a really sophisticated product. I've been getting intimations that, and I'll note, this is not confirmed by CrashPlan, the company, Code42 uh, is the company, uh, that they're going to not be as excited about home users in the future. And uh, they recently uh, reduced the term that you can sign up for in advance for subscriptions from three years to one year. That is never a good sign. And uh, they've been promising for years that they would abandon this this um, janky uh, Java client. They still have a Java client, Susie. Oh, man. And they've you know improved it over time. But they just... Yeah, I uh, remembered one of them had Java, and I was just trying to figure out which one it was. So. It, and it works, and it's, you know, but you have to, like, I have to go in and manually change the file memory allocation because I have so many files. And blah, blah, you know, all this stuff. Black Bay is... Backblaze calls it out on their site. They say Java is responsible for 91% of security attacks, and we don't use Java, and they're kind of, you know, side-tweeting uh, the other. Well, it's true, but CrashPlan embeds bit. Java in the app, so you don't have to install Java to use CrashPlan for at least a couple releases. So it's it's an integral version. It doesn't suddenly enable it on the web. Oh. I know. It's, yeah, I know. They're tra- Backblaze is their trash talk, and it's sort of an old trash talk, but... But it's true. Java, and Java, but you know, it's possible there could be something, and it's just Java is another security risk. So even if it's running integrally to run the software, um, Backblaze has a native client. I mean, all, probably have it on here anyway. All the other, uh, yeah, we, you wind up installing it for really weird things. But, so all the other hosted backup companies, they all have native software for multiple platforms, including Mac. Uh, uh, CrashPlane recently, they're touting, hey, we got this great new native client. Like, for home, they're like, no, it's for Pro E, which is our, you know, professional enterprise product. Like, are you coming to? Yeah, yeah, well, eventually. I'm like, you've been saying that I think for six years now. I have a native client, and I've had times where I've had months of talking to customer service at CrashPlan because I'm one machine. I have always have problems. I've got the most stuff backed up on it, and it keeps failing. I just upgraded to El Capitan. I had to go through this, you know, multiple email thing, get things reset. Like, ah. Oh. So the other day, I'm like, you know, I have fiber now. The thing that was holding me back. I have terabytes of stuff backed up at CrashPlan. I've already paid and gotten some free promotions. Like I answered a business questionnaire and got a year free for uh, 10 machines. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, they're charging, they charge roughly $75 a year. And I think 150 is the retail for unlimited storage for up to 10 computers for a home account. So I've got various computers in my house, right? I've got my in-laws computer, I got all this stuff going on. And, and altogether, besides my main Mac, it's probably a handful of gigabytes. My main Mac is backing up, you know, uh, one and a half terabytes. But I backed it up once and it's on, you know, one and a half terabytes. It's costing crash plan, cost them a couple hundred dollars in hard drives initially. And now they're, it's just capital. So thing is with fiber i can suddenly with a gigabit connection i can suddenly i was like all right i can switch to backblaze on this machine and it's uh backblaze is five bucks a month or uh what's their their yearly rate is less than that i have a yearly rate that's cheaper uh and um uh it's it's often considered i mean it's just sort of rude but i'll say it's like it's 50 bucks uh sorry 50 bucks a year if you pay for a year ahead of time and um the deal is uh, they're often the number two. And the reason they're number two in this, like Joe Kissel, I just wrote a wire cutter uh, review of like all the online hosted backup and crash plan came in as a clear number one Backblaze is often number two, not because it uh, ha- is a worse service. It's because they offer fewer options. You really can't configure backblaze that much. You can select drives. You can exclude um, files by extension uh, or by 
uh, I don't think you can do pa- you can add paths. I think you can say don't back up you know my users directory whatever, and it won't back up certain things, especially Unix stuff or applications. So if you're using Backblaze, it's made a lot of choices for you. It's more of an Apple product, right? <laughs> Crash, crash plan, more a Google style product. Hey, here's every kind of thing you can have. Yeah, let's throw it in here, anything you want. Um, so if so, Backblaze is, I would say, it appeals to fewer people who are tweakier. But if you don't care about that, Backblaze may be a simpler solution. So anyway, I'm doing it now, and um, I'm hitting. I'm, I may uh, again. I may talk to you about writing something about this for MacWorld because. Uh, the Backblaze, they have a little tester. It says, here's how long it might take, you know, pending other variables. It's like, oh, I can back up a terabyte and a half in like eight hours or something at the rate of the connection between my computer and Backblaze's server. It runs an actual test, right? It's been a day and I've only backed up, um, uh, I don't know what it's like, 100 something gigabytes. And um, so I'm going to talk to them about like, you know, is it, I'm on a, they have a two week trial and I'm checking with them to see if they throttle during a two-week trial, because it was doing 100 megabit per second uploads for a while, and then it seemed like it throttled to 10, and now it's consistently at 10, and they may, for for trial users, they may not let you have the full speed. I don't know. I'm going to ask about them and get a clarification. But this is one of these sunken risks. If I tried to switch with my old Comcast service, it would take like a year for me to do it. <laughs> it uh, totally would. Some services offer these seeding things, like crash plan. If you're starting from scratch, you can... Send the, they'll send you a drive that's a multi-terabyte drive. You put everything you want on it from a local backup using their software and then send it to them. Backblaze doesn't have a local backup uh, software option. doesn't have a LAN or peer-to-peer or local uh, hard drive option, so they don't do that. They will send you a drive. If you have to do a massive restore, you can order and they'll send you a multi-terabyte uh, drive. Anyway, so adventures in high-speed Yeah, I mean, inertia is really powerful when it comes to this stuff. Like we, when I started working here, we had (laughs) Google apps for email and stuff. So we all had, um, you know, Google Docs and Google spreadsheets and things. And then they moved us all over to Office 365. And that has all the same products. But we, you know, we, we grumbled a lot about it. And we kind of made them keep our Google Drive around. And we're supposed to be moving stuff over. But, like, nobody wants to just sit and move all this stuff over. It's, <laughs> exactly. It's a pain. It needs, like, a concierge service to come, like, do it for me. Well, and companies want this, right? They'll tell you, oh, you can export your data. Like, Medium is a great example. Medium.com is a beautiful writing platform. And it's kind of like a – it's not exactly a blog. It's not exactly a publication for a while, the term platisher, which is awful, was being bandied around a platform publisher because they were running their own publications, which they it's still sort of do. what LinkedIn wants to be. Ah, oh, yeah, LinkedIn, yeah. Ah, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, but, so, but Medium will let you export everything you write there. You hit a button, and it gives you a full export as structured data, but you don't get the Medium experience. So then you have to figure out how to import it into another blog engine or whatever. People have built importers. Uh, but yeah, no no service, even the most open services, don't want to make it easier for you to get the same experience somewhere else. They'll give you your data, uh, but not necessarily, you know, you're not going to get that experience. Um, so I'll keep you, I'll keep you prized. Cause I know everyone wants to hear more about my connection. <laughs> oh, I just feel like I've suffered. Nothing you know. is more exciting than hearing about someone else's backups. <laughs> I have, yes. I like to sit there and watch the files tick by. Uh, and, uh, and, and real time breaking update, uh, email just came in from Backblaze and said, there's a multi-threading, <laughs> there is a setting, there's a multi-threading setting. So I should be increasing that by default. It's set to one and they suggest increasing that to a number above one. And that may help because they do not throttle. Not to 50. That's right. Mine goes to 11. Ah, I tried to explain <laughs> that to my kids the other day. They did not get it. No, but see, there's 11 on the it's on the dial. And then the guy thinks like, oh, well, his is loud. No, it's not louder. It's at his. Good. But oh, it's OK. We'll go. We'll wait till you're older. <laughs> 
Uh, let's uh, thank a sponsor. There's no will... dials anymore. There's like so, sliders. That's right. My slider not goes. Get that. My slider goes from high to max. I work with someone who had a pathological fear of the word high, and uh, we had a microwave oven that was this ancient, almost um, it was like a uh, industrial microwave oven for cooking, and it had a setting that said high. It had dial from low to high, and he couldn't set it to high. So we actually put a little piece of tape that said medium high on it, put it over there so he could use it. Oh man! You know that's you got to accommodate people's. Yeah, that was that was a specific one though. I don't know what uh, maybe he was maybe something high was frightened him as a child. I don't know, but uh, uh, what I do want. I remember to... being in the back of the station wagon screaming, "Put it on Max, not Norm." <laughs> Max Norm, my favorite bring back Max superhero. And Norm. Yeah, Max Headroom and Max Norm. They were. Uh, uh, but I want to pause to thank uh, one of our sponsors this week. Harry's. Harry's won't frighten you. They don't They don't frighten you unless you're frightened of mustaches because you know what? Harry's is the official partner of the Movember It's Movember. Uh, Foundation. It's Movember. Taco Movember's over. is the happiest. Right. Shocktober's over. It's Movember. And uh, let me tell you, Susie, I've tried to, draw, to grow a mustache before. It is not a pretty sight. Now, I believe your husband is her suit. He has a mustache and beard. Is that correct? He has kind of a goatee thing. I've, I, I like the handlebar mustache. You know the the, oh. the Fu Manchu kind of thing, but he can't he can't really grow that one. I have uh, I have what tried. they call feeble facial hair, and so uh, uh, it, is, it is strong and brittle and and hard to shave. And yet, uh, so I can't participate in Movember exactly in this fashion. Although I often sponsor my friends who are much more uh, mustache follicularly uh, enhanced than I am. And so Movember is it's a for those who don't know it's a, a month in which people uh, vow to grow mustaches to raise awareness and money for men's health. Issues and there are a lot of issues that you know afflict uh, men in particular that are also often underfunded. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> you think there'd be other things to be underfunded, and so Harry's is the official razor partner of Movember. So when the month ends, you got Harry's there, and you can shave slickly and get that mustache off before. Uh, everyone laughs at you, your mustache. My dad grew a mustache once, and that was, oh, we still laugh about that. Uh, but so Harry's. So let's talk about Harry's for a second. Why Why should we be talking about Harry's? Well, they're a unique razor company. Uh, you know, razors are often sold, and the blades, at inflated prices uh, at retail locations. There's a lot of middle people in that. And then you go in the store, and they treat it like it's Fort Knox. Like, I need blades, and they have to unlock a thing, and it takes forever. And you're paying way too much. So Harry's instead, it was built by two guys who just wanted to have a better experience, but also to shave, haha, some of the costs off between uh, their customers uh, and the products they're making. And in fact, they uh, ramped up so much that they found a razor factory they liked in Germany and they bought it. It's been making some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. And, uh, and just to note, not just during Movember, do they uh, help charity? They also give 1% of their sales and 1% of the time back to the communities they serve. So it's uh, one of those nice, happy loops. You pay less, you get a great blade, and they put back into their communities. So here's the deal. You can get a set, which includes a razor handle, three blade cartridges, your choice of shaving cream or foaming shaved gel delivered to your door. And do you know what it will cost? It will cost $10 if you use the code MACWORLD. Macworld, uh, you know how to spell that. So you go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, enter the code Macworld. You'll get $5 off your first order, which makes that 10 bucks for that introductory set. So uh, grow that mustache. If you haven't started yet, you want to participate, find people who are doing good work and help sponsor them and check out harrys.com with the code Macworld. 
So there's a last thing before we talk about the Apple TV is the uh, iPad Pro. We don't have confirmation of this, but the date being floated by ghosts on Halloween is uh, November 11th is going to be the now is that going to be the shipping date or the pre-order date that we've heard? Uh, the rumor, the latest rumor, which was from Mark Gurman, who's usually right about these things. His source seems to know about the retail side of Apple's business specifically. Um, his source says November 11th was pre, was like online sales and in-store sales. But, I mean, sometimes those aren't really synced up as tightly as they used to be. Um, they'll have online sales and then they'll say like, and it's also in stores. And then you'll go to the store and they'll say, oh, no, you can order that online. So, you know, and then then Apple hasn't confirmed anything. Right. So if, you know, you would definitely want to, if we don't hear more, we'll hear, like we'll hear before. But if Apple says, yeah, it's going on sale online on Wednesday the 11th, and then it will be in stores that week, um, you know, call ahead if you're trying to get one in a store. Because that happened to us with, I think, the the latest iPod Touch and the, the gold MacBook. Both of them, they said, yeah, and it's in stores. And oh. we called all the stores trying to get one that day. So, you know, we wouldn't have to wait for shipping. And they said, yeah, like, you can order that online. It's We no. don't actually have it. Yeah, that, so, that with the that, uh, That's the gold, that can be frustrating. Uh, so uh, let's see. But so the we rumors, were talk- yeah, the yeah, 11th. Rumors, well, the rumors are rumors. And it lets Rumor them, uh, it. It, you know, I there's some matter of uh, Apple likes to seed, you know, some of its leaks and some of its uh, intentional uh, information put out in advance in a form that is designed to look like a leak. So uh, sometimes Apple's seeding information to get feedback and set expectations. Sometimes it's actually from internal sources. You don't know which it is. Um, so Apple TV. So, hey, we both got new Apple TVs. Yeah, uh, this and, one's uh, actually out. You wrote a review of it. and uh, I did. What's your So what's your, let's do the top down thing. So what's your overall experience with a new Apple TV? And you've had, and you had an Apple TV before this. Yes. So I we're cord cutters, so we've been doing pretty much all Apple TV. And I have all the other boxes. I have the Chromecast. I have a Roku 3. I have a, I have a kind of aging Roku. The Roku 4 is just out, and I haven't seen that one yet. And I have a Chromecast and the Fire TV, Amazon's. Um, I think I said that. So, But yeah, the Apple TV is the one we keep coming back to. Partly that's because I keep buying content from iTunes and Apple TV is kind of the only one that'll do iTunes. And then we also use AirPlay a lot. AirPlay is so convenient um, and it's just easiest to do if you have all Apple gear. It's easiest to do with the Apple TV. So the new one is a big improvement over the old one. The old one had old hardware. I think it had the A5 chip in it and that's a pretty old chip these days. Um, So I I would have a lot. It takes a long time for it to start up. Um, Even when you you find a movie and you pick it, I would get a lot of iTunes errors. Like iTunes is not currently available was a very frequent error message. Or it would, even if it was going to play it, it would take a while. It would say loading, authorizing, loading. (laughs) It would take kind of a while. So the new one has fixed that. The performance is good. It's very responsive. Um, I really like the remote. It's a little jumpy. I kind of, I've butt dialed, like butt rewound things a couple (laughs) times if the remote is like on the couch because it's so slim. It can kind of, you know, it sits on the couch and then it sort of like slides down next to your leg and then Next thing you know, you're kind of brushing up against it and your show's fast forwarding. So that's weird. The touchpad remote, I've had some some accidental input. Um, and you can change the scrolling speed of the touchpad, but you can't change its sensitivity yet. So 
maybe they could add that with a software fix. I don't know. Hmm. But but navigating around is is a lot more improved. And I like how the apps are kind of laid out more like iPad apps. They have content on every screen and you can scroll through um, more than one category. So like Netflix on the old one, after I picked if I wanted to look at my profile or my son's profile, the next screen would just be all text. It was like, you know, recently watched, recommended for you, new on oh, Netflix. Yeah. And they, but they were it was just a list of text items. And on the iPad, I mean, it shows every single thing. All those categories are there, but they're in rows, and there's actually things you can touch and watch. So that that experience has been moved to the Apple TV. So that's a lot better. But it's still kind of buggy. I don't know. Like you, you said you had some problems with some of the software. And, yeah, I've seen some – I don't know. It's just – so the Siri universal search is working okay for me, but if if it doesn't understand you – it's been frustrating. Like it either works right away or I'm just screaming at it the same thing four <laughs> or five times and it's not it's not getting me. Yeah. I'm, and the rest of my family is having problems with it too. I'm the only one who's really using it. And I keep telling them, like, try to try to use Siri, try to use Siri. And they're like, no, it doesn't get me. Yeah, I get t- I think my two big problems are um well, you know, A, I feel like the interface is revamped, but it's not that much better. I mean I think it's the same interface. It's the same interface. It's <laughs> it's slightly it's shinier. Everything is a little glowier. Inside the apps it's a lot better. Yeah. But I do like the, the ability to you know, I love the fact that you have to add things. So you're installing apps, whether they're free or paid, that your screen isn't full of all kinds of stuff you can't do. I always thought that was both marketing and irritating. I like the fact that you just hold down the Siri a button and things and the thing you're holding down and jiggles and you can slide it around. That's cool. So now I can reorder it, but stuff in my top row, the things I use. But uh, yes. I feel like it's, you know, we're still, this is kind of 0.8 and, uh, and the interface isn't going to change for this entire release. I don't think. I doubt they'll update it. And I don't think it's the right approach. I don't think TV is this like bunch of icons on a screen. It's not a touch device. Even with a touch controller, it's not a touch device. And I feel like they could have reconceived this whole thing. Um, but I feel like Apple's experience uh, side is weak now. Like they just aren't thinking I'm going to say differently uh, enough um, for a new device. And they have a lot of competition in this space. And they're like, hey, this thing that sort of worked and people got irritated at, we're going to make it slightly better. It's like, that's not really how you, that's not your DNA, yeah. Apple. Like They were playing catch up for sure. Everyone yeah. else had gotten ahead of them. It's true. But so uh, like, th- then you get down to the individual things is I don't know what their guidelines are for app developers, but I spent literally 15 minutes trying to figure out how to configure Hulu. 15 minutes. I'm like, where's my queue? Where are the settings? My yeah, children where's are. Where's my queue in What's... Hulu? Did you find it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> all right. Tip. Tip number one. I got a few tips. I got a few tips. Hard one lessons. It's in the first row. You know where it says, like, I don't know, it says recents or whatever. And it's got a couple items. And the search button is way the heck up in the top. And I mean, you tap it. I think nothing happened when I tried it. I couldn't get a keyboard to come up. So maybe the program's buggy. But that first row of, you know, like pictures, it's supposed to be screens. You yeah. keep going right. You go right. It says recent or something. You go right, boxes. right, right. And off to the far right, like 10 uh, items to the right off screen is where you find settings. It's also where you find a queue. So the settings, you're like, so, all right, that's weird. It's not how Netflix is set up uh, in the in that app. And uh, the Netflix app, by the way, matches um, pretty closely to the Samsung TV version that I've had for a while. Uh, and it's a, and their approach is perfectly fine. It's easier to find things, too. 
so there was that. Then I'm like, all right, well, you know, my kids want to watch some Charlie Brown stuff. And I'm like, oh, I looked on, I looked on Hulu. There's like this Charlie Brown. There's, you know, Snoopy Come Home. There's like all these Charlie Brown things. Amazon has Charlie Brown stuff for sale, but Amazon's not integrated yet. Netflix has some Charlie Brown stuff. Uh, uh, Apple has iTunes content. So I say, hey, find me some Charlie Brown. It's like, bloop. And it brings up like, not an adult movie, but like an R-rated film that I don't know what, there's somebody named Charlie Brown. I'm like, all right, that's not what I'm looking for. Like one item, like maybe misunderstood me. Like find stuff with Charlie Brown. And it's like, bloop, same movie. And I'm thinking, yeah, this isn't, you know, whatever's going on the there. I bought the Great Pumpkin, the Great Pumpkin special from iTunes. And it was kind of wrapped up inside a season that said Peanuts um, specials. So now yeah. when I have selected the iTunes TV show icon. <laughs> oh my God, don't say find peanuts. You know what it's going to tell you. No, I don't want to say that. Find but so peanut, up no, in the... peanuts. I said peanuts. Peanuts. <laughs> up, oh my gosh. Uh, up in I the, really like that movie about the guy who plays piano. Show me the, oh Jesus. Yeah. Sorry, I beg your I've pardon. I've run into a couple of those. I was trying to find the New Girl episode with Prince on it and it kept, Saying, thinking I was saying Prince, P-R-I-N-T-S. Find Prince of and I could Wales, not please. get it to to understand me that I meant Prince, like the Sh- artist. Show me Prince of Wales. No, I don't want pictures of cetaceans. Yeah. All right. But uh, so yeah. yeah, Hulu seems to be the buggiest. I've had the most problems with Hulu. So it's, it'll do the autoplay thing if you're binge watching a show, and yeah. then the second one will come up and that little line that says swipe down for more and the little um, you know scrubber bar will just stay up on the screen and they will never go away until the swipe I stop down thing, the movie and start it over again. The swipe down thing seems in it seems inconsistent and I mean there's a discovery aspect too like I was trying to use the click on the uh, the uh, point I don't know what you call that like the, the scrub bar right for I guess what you call mm-hmm. it I was trying to scrub to a specific time and you know that wasn't that didn't it was very hard to do. And then at some point I managed to slide over to the far right. It's like advanced ten seconds. I'm like, oh, if I click, and then I'm like, oh, if I hold down, it fast forwards, but it's not showing me frames from the film. And I've got fiber as previously disclosed, so it should have pre- <laughs> it should have preloaded all that stuff. I'm not sitting there with my old connection where it wouldn't have. So the discovery for me of how to use the controls as someone who's an experienced user of many kinds of controls, I felt was. Uh, Week. Oh, and we have haven't you found even... that. Speaking of discovery, have you found the app switcher yet? No. Is there's that app switcher? So you know the home button, right? Yeah. So the, the the home button is a weird button. It'll do a few things. If you press it once, it goes back to the home screen, which is, is nice because before you had to just you know keep wailing on the menu button to go all the way back. Um, so you press it but once to go to the home screen. If you hold it down, you get a thing that will offer to sleep your Apple TV, and that will also turn off your television if you're using the CEC thing. Um, and that, so that's been nice. But if you double press it, it, you get an app switcher, like the iPad app switcher, and you can scroll through with the touchpad and jump. So if you know you come and your kids are watching Hulu, but you were watching something in Netflix and you had it paused, you can jump back to Netflix and your show might still be paused. It's oh. been kind of hit or miss for me. But the app switcher has been really exciting. You don't have to go all the way back to the home screen and like scroll and find your app again. So that that's a big one. We're, I'm I'm pulling together a tips thing. So that'll oh, good. be lots of yeah. And the uh, yeah, it's, it's this is where usually. Apple products are usually very good at discovery. So you mess with them and you learn stuff and then you apply it. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the thing that people were really um, angry about, and I, I have to admit I'm angry from the standpoint of why did this have to happen, 
the fact that you couldn't use the remote app and you can't oh, use all the passwords. You can't use Bluetooth keyboards. I had it. So I'm like, they said right. no one was using Bluetooth keyboards, which I oh, totally whatever. believe. But for setup, when whatever. you're entering all those passwords, like that would. I'm putting a big L, my finger's shaped like an L on my forehead towards <laughs> Apple. It, they, well, now, we didn't need Bluetooth password pa- keyboards because we had that beautiful iOS app. It also doesn't matter if they support Bluetooth. They have a full Bluetooth 4.x the remote is stack. Bluetooth. Yeah, they have a stack in there. They yeah. have the profile support for a keyboard in there. It's just it would, lazy, isn't it? It would take them virtually no time to support keyboard input because they have all the code written for this platform already and tested on other iOS devices. If they chose not to do this because they didn't, you know, no people shouldn't be using Bluetooth. I mean, it's part of the like, there's no browser. Um, they don't want to do text input. They have, they're wrapped up in their Siri remote uh, app and that philosophy. Uh, it's a mistake. And even if you only had to use the Bluetooth keyboard uh, occasionally, if you had it, you'd do it. The thing that related to this, though, is that uh, uh, I go through the setup. I'm like, all right, I plug the thing in. It's like, hey, if you have an iPhone nearby, just hold it nearby. And I'm like, oh, I do. And then I'm setting it through the iPhone, and I'm like, this is great, but I can't, you know, it's giving me non-modal dialogue. So I use one yeah. password. I can't cancel them, it get the password, password and copy it. So I'm typing the password in, but I'm like, this is still cool. It's an iPhone. That's fine. I go through that. I'm like, this is great. Maybe I set everything up. Launches. I had to enter my two different Apple ID passwords four times total. Yeah, me too. And I'm like, what is this experience? This is our, what, what so company it, did I just buy this from? It uses Bluetooth. When you set it up, um, when you first plug it in, you, there's a, a device kind of setup thing, which is new to the Apple TV. And you can put your phone by it, um, your iPhone or iPad. It has to be later than an iPad 2. It has to be running iOS 9.1. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of put it next to the Apple TV and it will... Um, make a Bluetooth connection and it'll grab your Wi-Fi credentials from your your phone, from your iOS which, device which and awesome. join the same network, yeah. which is really convenient. But it's like, so my iPhone is my trusted device in two-factor authentication. It's got Touch ID on it. So, it, it, you know, everything's encrypted. It's pretty darn secure. So if you're connecting to it, I would, you know, imagine somewhat securely to get this password and my Wi-Fi, you know, network and password. Um, can't you also grab my, my two Apple IDs and those passwords? Like, I know it's like, I I couldn't, there wasn't an option to back up my old Apple TV. So, you know, like how your iPhone, you can do encrypted device backup and that way you don't have to re-enter all your passwords when you maybe restore to a new device. If the iOS device has to have a passcode set or touch ID enabled, maybe limit it to that. But once I've done that, just, you know, if I've, especially if I've got my, if my, Oh, it's like add your Apple TV as a trusted device. There should be a way to do that very simply. Once it's a trusted device associated with my Apple ID account, I should be able to pass credentials to it. And this is yeah. the frustrating point. Apple controls the entire ecosystem. They can't make this part work. The uh, the fact that they couldn't make the remote app work at launch is embarrassing. It kind of is. It's it really absurd. Is. They People have are like, 200... oh, they'll update it any day now, but, you I know. mean having all the money in the world, they have over $200 billion in the bank, right? Watch that, them update it like after we record this, but before we I, post well, it. <laughs> they, well, that's fine if they do, but they didn't have it at launch. They shipped a million of these yes. things probably, right? They shipped a ton of these. We know there was a lot of pent-up demand. Um, they know developers wanted. They probably shipped tens of thousands to developers. This is the move from hobby to real product, and they weren't ready. Oh, I'm so sick of that hobby but line. It was never a hobby. They're a business. A Let me, uh, let's <laughs> they pause. Just <laughs> they just weren't giving it the resources that it should have gotten. I'm going to press pause on the Siri remote for a second so we can pause our outrage 
and uh, we'll come back and talk more. <laughs> but first, let's thank our other sponsor this week, Red Hat, and then we'll come back to you. We will, we'll, we'll calm ourselves down during this brief pause and thinking happily about enterprise nice uh, Linux. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, you know, it's not news that supported open source is now widely accepted at the high, highest levels of enterprise computing. But you might be surprised by the extent of adoption. It, it's broader than you think if this is something you've thought about at all. Most of the open source running in elite data centers is running Red Hat. It's more than just Red Hat Enterprise Linux, too. Red Hat offers storage solutions, cloud computing, and everything you need for application development. It's all open source, and it's all enterprise grade. And you'll find Red Hat in every executive department of the U.S. federal government. You'll find it in every airline, telecom giant, healthcare company in the Fortune Global 500. The New York Stock Exchange and every commercial bank in the Fortune 500. In fact, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 use Red Hat for everything from the critical to the routine. I think what's most surprising is not that Red Hat is in so many places, but that it kind of snuck in there without people realizing the extent to which the Internet is run by Red Hat. And, and this isn't surprising if you know their history. They were one of the first companies to provide supported open source software uh, for you know, platforms, and they've continued to develop things for the cloud and servers and much more. And, and you can find out more about that if you visit redhat.com. Red Hat, build on it, run with it, count on it. And uh, thank you, Red Hat, for that pause in our outrage. Thank you, Red Hat. Uh, we should talk about some – oh, I have one more <laughs> thing to complain about, and then we'll – uh, so it has a USB-C port for external uh, diagnostics, right? They, there was a USB port in previous versions of the Apple TV, also an older style yes. USB port. And uh, your Siri remote control, uh, it has a lightning port for charging. There is no mm -hmm. connection. There's no lightning to USB-C, so you don't plug those two things in. I open the box. I'm like, oh, it shipped with a USB-C cable. How interesting. I try to plug it in and I'm messing with it. I'm like, oh my God, did I get a defective unit? Whatever. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a, not a USB-C cable. This is a lightning cable. I'm not looking carefully enough at the end. It's a USB-C. <laughs> so I'm trying to plug lightning into USB-C. And no, your uh, cables with Glenn Flesh. Oh, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. So uh, in yeah, the end, it doesn't too, ship with anything USB-C because they don't really intend for people no. to use the USB-C things. Developers can exactly. use it. And, you know, um, but you can't like say, get a USB-C hard drive and plug it in there exactly. and like have that be your Plex library or something. So Or a keyboard. Um, but you can use USB-C to USB type uh, whatever you got on your computer. I've got, I mean, I got a USB-C to USB-C. I have one of those cables for my 12-inch MacBook, uh, but you can do that if you want to make screen captures from yes. the Apple TV. But you need, uh, I believe, you need Xcode. Uh, wait, you, need you don't X actually need Xcode oh, for screen captures. QuickTime pr uh, yes. player. That's right. So you get a USB C to USB A cable, and you connect your MacBook of you know any recent vintage, and you fire up QuickTime. And then you say new movie recording, new and movie it's going to want to record from your built-in eyesight right. camera, and you're going to click the little arrow and say, no, 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 record from my new Apple TV. So this will work if you're looking at the interface or if you're looking at some right. you know, apps and games, but it doesn't actually work. You can't say, oh, I'll get that movie that's disappearing from Netflix up and I'll record it into QuickTime. That doesn't work. It will black out your screen. So... So it's not for, for capturing, you know, streaming video. It's for capturing um, little, you know, screencast kind of things if you want to show off your gameplay or if you want to, you know, 
make a screencast for Macworld because you're writing an article about exactly. how to set up the Apple TV. It was, so I found it extremely useful. And then if you have Xcode, I guess you can dig in and get screenshots. But then That's what I was thinking. Of, I was yeah. just pulling up the screen I wanted in QuickTime and taking a screenshot at QuickTime. It's so. much so Xcode is a little bit of a mess and it's multi-gigabytes. So if you're not used to using it, it's also kind of a, yeah, kind not, of a hassle. Not the but, most user-friendly. But so the, let's talk about some happy things because I think you had a lot of happy things to say about it. And I, you know, I, I want to, I'll start with the, uh, the it's one. It's pretty good. You point out, like the setup, if they can extend the iPhone setup, the initial iPhone setup where I just held it nearby, I was like, ah, this is the future, whatever. The um, the CEC thing, the HDMI CEC setup, I think you wrote about it and I've been reading, you did write about it in your review. Yes. Uh, it happened for me in a way I didn't even realize it was happening. And then I'm like, oh, it worked. I've seen people extolling it all over Twitter where they're like, I plug in my Apple TV and it just, it just did everything. Yeah. It just turns on everything. Everything's connected. It's a control protocol across HDMI. So I've but got a CC receiver. CC is awesome. So like the yeah. Chromecast was, is using that and the, the Fire TV is also using that. And in both cases, they just set themselves up. So it isn't like this is like some Apple secret sauce and no, like no. They, they made this work. Like CC is freaking magic and I love it. Consumer <laughs> so, electronics control is what it stands the for. The weird thing is, so if you are looking through, if it doesn't just work on your Apple TV, it's possible you don't have it enabled in your TV setting. Right. But when you're looking through your TV setting, the problem that you might run into is that every TV manufacturer has its own like twee name for it. Like uh, Sharp will call it like Aquos Link. Oh, Samsung, and Sony will call uh, it Bravia Link. And my uh, any- Toshiba calls it Regza. So they've, they've got all these dumb names. So if you see a dumb name like that and it's disabled, you might want to enable it. Or you can just head to Google or your search engine of choice and type in like my TV manufacturer <laughs> enable CEC and it will tell you what you have to turn on. Yeah, I think Sony is it AnyNet. I mean, Samsung has a different name for they it. They all have uh, their own names. Vizio, yep. Vizio calls it CEC. So props oh, to Vizio for well, calling it what it actually is. My Samsung Yay. TV displays. It'll do this brief display when you switch monitor inputs, and it says at the top HDMI dash CEC. When the Apple TV is installed, it shows that briefly in the resolution only yes. when I switch displays. So I know it's working. The other thing is I discovered this when I, uh, I upgraded receivers. Oh, gosh. I don't know how long ago. I had a I had one maybe just a couple of years ago. I had a pre-HDMI receiver. And I wanted to switch everything through a receiver. And there are some very inexpensive ones. I got one that does uh, AirPlay. It does 7.1 audio. It's, it's, it's like 300 bucks for this Yamaha that's now discontinued and replaced by a, yeah. like a slightly more expensive one. But it's it's just larded up with stuff, including <laughs> a USB port on the front. And so, uh, but it ha- I believe CEC, I can't remember if it's passed through or not. You may need, uh, if your receiver doesn't support it, the receiver won't turn on, even though it would pass it through the TV, I think. So oh. if you have all your components in a row, it should be for stuff purchased in the last several years, it'll all work. Here's the utility about the USB plug in the front. It's meant to handle um, uh, MP3. So you just plug it in. You can play it with the receiver because everyone has uh, – wait, what year is it? And uh, it's a few, <laughs> few years old, right? But the uh, thing that's useful, if it's turned on, I can charge my uh, Siri from it. So I plug that in. I'm like, I don't have a USB port anywhere. I don't have a, even like a spare – I mean, I have a spare chargers. But I was thinking, well, where near the home entertainment setup do I charge? I'm like, ah, just plug it in there. I charge it. Tip – you can go to settings on the AirPlay to check, as I think you could before with um, older remotes. You can check and see how the unit's charged, if it's charging, and when you unplug the cable, 
how charged it is. So you can use that as a confirmation. I don't believe the Siri remote has anything on it, just like the other remotes, to indicate its charge status. No, there's no lights or anything. There's I mean, no Apple says it's gonna a charge is going to last you for months, so hopefully you oh, won't yeah. have to charge it like so much that you're like, oh, am I at 50% or 40%? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. It'll warn so, you. You'll probably get on-screen warnings yeah, to say, hey, your yeah. Siri thing's down to 10%. It'll last for a few weeks. You, might want to charge you can see it's a little buried. You can see a kind of a graphical representation of how um, how charged your, your thing is. And then when you plug it in, you get a little notification on your TV that it's plugged in, but it doesn't give you like a time, you know, percentage or, and, and there isn't any kind of like, you have this many hours remaining because it depends on what you use it for. I mean, I'm right, sure like absolutely. gaming with it will probably hit it harder than just, you know, picking stuff to watch. But the, yeah, I'm not too worried about the battery in there. So the old Apple TV remote, of course, ran on a coin battery that you could change yourself. Um, and it lasted for a really long time. I had to change mine a few times. But the this weird thing that with the remote that yeah. is annoying me is that, as we mentioned, you can't use the iOS remote app with it yet. Um, but you can't use anything else with it. So I grabbed, I was rushing out the door this morning. I was kind of running late. So I grabbed the Apple TV and shoved it in my bag. I grabbed the USB-C cable that I've been using for my screenshots. But I forgot the Siri remote. And now it's pointless. Like, I can't do anything with this Apple TV all day unless I'm willing to run over to the Apple store and pay 79 bucks for another Siri remote, which I absolutely am not willing to do. So, so that's really annoying that the only thing you can use it with is the Siri remote. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will notice, I will note that um, uh, it is really nice. The remote is really nice. We've been, like I said, we've been complaining nice about stuff. It's, it's a very nice feel. It feels like a new iOS device in terms of it's it easy being... to hold upside down. Have you held it upside down? Oh uh, yeah, it hurt. Yeah, I there's want it no to be orientation. Like, I want it to have like a palm bulge on the bottom, like the TiVo does, or I want it to I have know. some kind of thing that helps me know in my hand that it's the right way. So the, the top, the touchscreen feels, you know, smooth like a touchscreen on your laptop, and then the bottom is that more like tacky, shiny plastic that you know you remember from other remote controls so your thumb can kind of tell like that's the shiny plastic versus that's the smooth touchscreen but it's really easy to just grab it the wrong way if you're just reaching for it so that's another thing they could fix i think people complaining about it and i just uh so um yeah, I just I, I I hate to I just shake my head and go, you know, how do do I know how to run a multi hundred billion dollar company? No, do I know what Apple is capable of? Yes, and does this <laughs> you know? I also I do you know I've done software development in the past. I've I've helped, helped uh, worked on apps. I know how to build this stuff, and I'm like the stuff that's problematic. Now I'm not an industrial designer. You know, it, how hard is it to design that remote control with a sense of up? It's Johnny Ive. He can do it. He could do it. And the you fact know what that, the sense of up is, it's that I didn't buy the $13 rubber band that you can uh, shove into the, the yeah, yeah. Then lightning you know. port on the bottom. And then, you know, oh, the bottom is the one with the expensive rubber band hanging out. Of that's it. right. This is, this is all a ploy. It's to my sell. fault. They, I'm holding it wrong. You're holding it. Oh, that's the name of this episode. It's your remote, you're holding it wrong. Uh, so I got a couple. I, I got a couple tips. Though. I hold everything wrong. <laughs> I got a couple tips for you. One is uh, someone mentioned I was after tediously. So the the remote control entry is both are uh, that uh, if you're entering um, characters for a password, it's both uh, excellent and infuriating because you don't have the tactile like, sense well, of scroll stopping. Right over there, and you scroll right past you it. Scroll, you scroll. I mean, you can click to do it too, but clicking takes forever. It's showing you the entire alphabet in a row. Like there have been decades. 
decades of research about how to optimally enter <laughs> information. They can and do none a of them circle. are just line up yeah. 26 letters in one long row. <laughs> They've got a, they, ha, they can do predictive input, which they do on other devices. They... Um, I mean, you can't do it with passwords, but the, the deal is you can do circular because you can move in any direction on a touch input. And you could, if you have a non-touch input, if you have one that you have to use it's arrows, It's also got it a microphone. Work. I could spell it out. I, I know. I'd, everything. Yeah. You're like, Be why, like, why, Bravo, why? Cobra. Why? However, the Welcome. thing is you can use the up-down volume uh, buttons to change case, which I didn't realize. That's you don't nice. have to scroll down to that area at the bottom with to do it. So that was useful. That little recents thing, if you're entering email addresses, sometimes there's a recents item. And if you hit that, it'll show you email addresses that you've previously entered. And you can be like, yup, that's still my email address and just select it from that list. Because I don't know about you. I don't get a new email address every hour or two. So the thing too, is when you look at stuff like, uh, so when you enable uh, my Samsung TV, which is a few years old now, when you enable the Amazon service on it, they don't make you, and I, I'm remembering this right, I believe, they don't make you enter your account information. I don't think. Ship, the Fire TV ships to you with your Amazon account already preloaded. Yeah, so that's good. But I think on the Samsung, if I recollect, yes. you have to go and get a code. You go to Amazon on a browser, you get like a five-letter code, and you punch the five-letter code in to mm-hmm. activate your account on the Samsung. If I, I may be remembering that wrong. Uh, and I think the same thing, Hulu, you may have to actually on the Samsung. But I'm like, these are things that are solvable. They can release an app in which the account doesn't have to be – I don't have to enter – 40 characters. Look, yeah, pick a yeah, great password. Yeah, we did password. that with ESPN. ESPN mm-hmm. gave us a code and we went to oh, the, good. The, the web and logged in that way. Yeah, it's just there's just this activity thing where you're like, there are ways to avoid all of this and they haven't done it. Uh, one more tip. Uh, you could add this to your tips article. Here's a tip. Uh, I just discovered the other day, despite being writing about the airport base stations for, uh, I have a book that's been in progress you know, for decades. It's come out. It's not just been in progress. I actually published it. Uh, it's, it I've had done like 10 different editions of the book that's now called uh, take control of your Apple Wi-Fi network, and we're just about to release a version that's updated for uh, El Capitan and iOS 9 and includes um, inf- some other details that are new, too, including about 802.11ac Wave 1 and Wave 2, which is kind of a new thing. There's a faster version of AC that's coming, and it's in the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus and uh, part, the elements of it. So I'm um, going through this revision. And I'm looking through the uh, airport, the 802.11ac uh, airport base station. It's the, the tower one that came out a few years ago. And I'm looking at settings and just making sure I got everything right. I'm taking new screen captures because all the fonts changed in El Capitan and iOS uh, 8 to 9. So I'm just making sure everything's cool, right? And I'm thinking, uh, what is uh, IGMP uh, uh, was it snooping? I got to look up the term. It's this term. It shows up in like the NAT settings. Yeah, IGMP snooping, Internet Group Management Protocol. I swear I've never seen this setting before or I've ignored it. And this is somebody who is supposedly an expert. I've been writing about this for years. And I start digging around because it seems like an obscure thing. It's actually not obscure at all. And it's not present on all of Apple's routers, only the newest AC, and only if you've got it enabled in a certain mode where you're, uh, where it's acting as a, a center uh, uh, unit that's distributing addresses, I believe. I think it only shows up there. IGMP snooping has to do with broadcast. I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's broadcast messages across a network, and it lets the uh, base station coordinate those by sort of grabbing them and connecting them and then rebroadcasting them. And I'm probably explaining that a little bit obscurely. Uh, Some devices, including AirPlay, use IGMP, or I'm sorry, technologies rather, use uh, IGMP to to broadcast these broadcast messages because every device needs to receive an AirPlay message because anything on the network can access it. 
So if you have this checkbox enabled, it actually supposedly improves some of the weirdness about proxying of you know the airport problem. Uh, someone I know this morning is posting. <laughs> He posted a message uh, on Twitter. Uh, this is uh, Joe Rosensteel, a uh, very nice fellow who's uh, in the film industry. He posts this message this morning showing a um, AirPlay dialogue on his uh, on his iOS device, and it shows Apple TV, parenthesis 2, Apple TV, parenthesis 3. And he wrote, you have to be bleeping kidding me. No, I didn't get another one. It's freaking out over AirPlay. And uh, so, so I tweet something back at him like, you know, well, tomorrow morning, this is last night he posted it. It'll be uh, Air, Apple TV paren 678. Because, you know, this is that typical problem. Uh, there's an AirPlay issue. It gets discovered wrong. It keeps incrementing the number, even though it's the same device. It's maddening. Someone replies to us both. They're like, oh yeah, I'm up to 1,566. And they send a screen capture. The AirPlay target, 1,566, because it's iterated so much. So if you're having problems like that, uh, and you can find this in third-party routers, too, that aren't made by Apple. I just found it in the uh, the TP-Link Archer C7 that I bought. Uh, you enable IGMP snooping, or whatever IGMP setting it says. You restart the router, and it may actually resolve some AirPlay problems. And it's weird that wow. Apple doesn't recommend this, because uh, I've had AirPlay failures, and I haven't done extensive testing since enabling it. Uh, but I, we use AirPlay all the time, and I, to my recollection, I have not had a problem since I enabled that a, a week or two ago, uh, but it could just be random chance also. So there's a tip. Tip. Uh, oh, hey, so remember our discussion on many previous episodes – how do you manage storage? About fiber? Uh, uh, no, no, I swear to God, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. No, wait, okay, I got one more thing to say. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the Apple TV and the memory life thing. Like, why would you buy one or another? Oh, yeah. Why would you get a bigger one? Well, hey. Because apps take up room. It was, we setting. were overthinking it. There's a setting <laughs> for it. You can go and look. You can't control what stays on it, but you can delete the setting associated with an app. That's just deleting the app, though, right? No, no, I don't think so. I think you can clear out. Uh, ooh, that's a good question. I was looking at it. I didn't do it because I didn't. I didn't need to clear up the space. But I think this is like. I thought uh, it was just deleting the app. I'll double check. For no, the no, I article. think it's the. It shows that you can see a storage rundown, and I think if you select it, you can clear the cache because this looks oh, to me. Oh, yeah, that could be. It's exactly like an iOS where you can go and see the storage associated with, uh, mm-hmm. with a device. In some cases, you have to delete the app, don't you? In some, you can clear. Well, that's a good point. I think in some cases you can clear a cache. In others, you have to delete the app to refresh it. You know, that's a good point. I'll uh, confirm that for the yeah, thing. Yeah, but after a very short period of time, I had like, I don't know, I think Hulu had like, was it? Th- I thought it was just showing you how big every app was in case you were like, I only want to delete the big apps. Well, <laughs> like, we'll have to get an I answer. do that on my phone sometimes. I'm like, okay, I got to delete apps. If I delete the apps that are like 30 megabytes, you know, I'm never going to get get there. But if I start deleting gigabyte apps, like I'm going to see some progress. Oh, yeah, though then you go to the, uh, the – my favorite one is you go to settings. So you go to settings. You go to uh, – what is it? Uh, general storage and um, – oh, I can't remember where you find it. Is it storage? I don't know. You, go, you look at whatever it is and it will show you like, oh, how much? Yeah, storage and iCloud usage and you look at manage storage, right? And it says iMessage is using two gigabytes. Like what? Why is iMessage using two? What is it doing? Because when you, people send you texts and I mean – Photos and video and iMessage, like most people just kind of like let them collect there. Like well, even if you don't, though, I mean, but it's like, I mean, that's the thing right now. Amazingly. Oh, this is incredible. iMessage is not showing me like a Maybe they finally solved an iOS 9. That was a persistent problem. Um, But yeah, so it's an interesting, uh, it gives you some uh, utility for, you know, what you're doing in all these different places in iOS. And so yeah, in iOS, you can't just say like, you know, delete the storage, you can see what's going on. Um, 
Oh no no wait I'm sorry I'm no I, I I correct myself I'm looking at storage. Some apps actually give you the exposure where you can go in, you can tap edit, and you can delete individual files. So you can't drop the cache, but you can get rid of stuff associated with yeah. an app. So um, I don't know if I looked at that in iOS nine yet. Well, we'll re- we'll address that. We'll see if you can manage it. But in the end, you know, Apple's managing the storage for um, I, uh, tvOS. So uh, even though you can see it there and maybe uninstall an app or something, or maybe you can delete cache data. I don't think you can go through and like flush like your Hulu cache or oh, something, well, but check, maybe you can. It's, I mean, Apple's managing we'll that. You shouldn't have to because Apple's going to flush yeah, stuff for they you. They don't want you to have to do that. Um, so, hey, so let's. The, the one thing I want to finish off with is uh, we were talking about. Um, uh, Jason Snell wrote about uh, this about the future of Apple TV, and he pointed out, and I think this is really valid. Uh, you know, the Apple TV, the old one, still being sold at sixty nine bucks. It's you know running an A five. It's not going to get features, not going to games and things. But he said, what you know, what if Apple made a stick like the Chrome or the uh, the Fire or the Chromecast? You know, an Apple TV stick would be a really interesting item and it would fit very much in the philosophy of what Apple does. You know, it'd be a very low end thing. They could probably still charge, you know, a premium for it over their cost of manufacture. And it could be an old style unit essentially in a stick form. Yeah, that could be cool. Cause it's strange that they're keeping the old one around um, since, I mean, it's a lot cheaper, but it does so little and it's not going to get any of the new stuff. It just can't handle it. So, yeah, but I, you know, if they're keeping it around just to have something in that price point, I think that Jason made a great point that they could make something better for that price point and maybe they would go with a streaming stick. Um, Roku has one and, and Amazon has one while still keeping the larger boxes around. Yeah. I prefer the larger boxes because you get the Ethernet option, which is nice. Um, I had a terrible time getting the Roku streaming stick connect connect to my Wi-Fi. I actually had like some support people online. Oh like gosh. there were like several people on the call with me. I mean, you know, I was reviewing it, so they were re- they really wanted it to work, and it wasn't working. And they were like, "Where where are you?" And I'm like, "I'm in Oakland." And one of them made like a crack about like, "Oh, Oakland, of course." And I was just like, "Hey now, hey now," and like, <laughs> "Let's not disparage the great city of Oakland because your cool. streaming stick is crappy." Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um. Yeah, that would be a natural progression for them. Or like, a, so Chromecast did a, a new Chromecast, and then they also have like a separate uh, product for for audio. Um, I thought that was confusing. I thought it should be all all the same one. But um, yeah, Apple could could go that way too. And uh, and the other thing is, uh, Google released a Chromecast Audio, which I think I was hoping. Well, you can't you can't do it with Apple Play or AirPlay, unfortunately. Um, it's uh, we talked about this a number of times um, after. Because uh, the new um, AirPlay, uh, sorry, the new Apple TV no longer offers audio out, and um, we talked about how people like that in the old unit, and you have to have Airport Express, which is still ninety nine bucks, I think, uh, new, and all you get them cheaper, refurbished, and uh, it's this issue of of um, some people do want to just push audio out into something, or they have uh, you know powered speakers or whatever. Uh, Dan Frakes has like eight of these in his house. We <laughs> talked to mm-hmm. him. He has They're eight airport, airport Expresses and other things. Uh, so the Chromecast Audio is a relatively inexpensive device. It's got a Wi-Fi hookup. You have to plug it. It's kind of funny. It has a plug. Like they showed us being, hey, it's totally wireless. It's just got yeah, – like, and then plug. off to the side, there's <laughs> the power that gets connected to it, of course, because it has to be powered. Um, but it's an audio target, and it's intended exactly for that. A lot of Powered speakers are a big thing now, and um, – you know, you want to have multiple of these, and this is inexpensive. Uh, so Apple doesn't really have, like, an audio product like that. The Airport Express is the closest thing, and uh, it would be neat if they had something. So Jason has a column at Macworld.com where he talks about some of that. But All right, I think we've harassed the Apple TV enough for this week. 
I mean, I I do like it. It's exciting to have a more open app store. Like I just downloaded the Plex app and I'm getting back into that. Um, I had kind of like let Plex fall by the wayside because I was using my Apple TV and the only way you could put Plex on it, the old one was to jailbreak it. So so it's cool. We're going to have more options. It's still the only box that will play the content that you buy or rent from iTunes. And Uh I just keep buying content from iTunes like an idiot, even though there's only one place I can play it. And then, of course, the AirPlay thing, it's been more solid for me. So, like, you know, all of those software quibbles aside, which I'm sure can smooth out over time, but I have to review the box that was, you know, that was shipped at launch. And there were some there were some bummers about um, software not working properly at launch. But it's a great box. It's a lot better than the other one. It's it's more expensive, too, which is annoying. But, um, yeah, if you're not going to play a lot of games, you could probably get by with the 32 gigabytes. I haven't really gotten into the gaming yet. Um, I think we're going to have a, a gamer um, evaluate it, you know, as a game machine. Yeah, I haven't downloaded any yet. It's not really in a position. We've got, like, a coffee table that's in a position. I can't stand in front of it and do games that require that. So all the games have to be ones where I sit down and we, we, don't, we don't really have – we're actually about to rejigger our whole – uh, living room, and uh, this may be part of it if we ever want to play games on a video yeah. device. I'm excited about some of the fitness apps and the integrations there. Um, there were already some fitness apps you could get for iOS, and then kind of AirPlay the the fitness video part to your Apple TV, and then you know like hold your iPhone and do the moves, and it would use the iPhone's accelerometer to evaluate how well you were doing like the cardio moves. Mm-hmm. So there were some experiences like that, but they were a little clunkier. You had to seek them out on the iOS side, and then bring your Apple TV in. And now it's it's a lot more natural to just say, oh, I'm going to download. You know, Daily Burn or Zova Fitness to my Apple TV, and 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 you know, do TV exercises if your living room is big enough to be able to exercise in front of your TV. But yeah, so there's a lot of like cool categories that are that are opening up. Um, and then you know, Fireplace apps are the new fart apps. It seems like. Okay. <laughs> there's so many Fireplace apps. Fireplace wow, is like really? aquariums have, and stuff. Yeah, I have yeah. not examined the store. Now there are some cool things like Art Authority, which is um, yeah. By, uh, uh, Alan Oppenheimer has been developing software for the Mac forever and developed this great firewall software for years and years. I swore by, uh, uh, you know, you want to put art on your screen, Art Authority. Mm-hmm. They've licensed that all kinds great. of... That one is great. It's a really lovely idea. And uh, I'm starting to get tons of email about um, about other products. Uh, Have friends you heard of Touch Press yet? What's that? T- Storehouse is on my list to check out. There's I one a, I, I, my disclosure, a friend who works there, and she worked on the app, and uh, I have not installed it yet, but I'm, I'm planning to. Uh, Storehouse is a really lovely visual storytelling way that lets you integrate photos and imagery, and it's like the most perfect thing for – the Apple TV is designed for Storehouse. I mean, iOS is fine. Collaborate. The web is fine, but it's just – yeah, so that'll be – that's a great thing to look at too. Um, and then another one that I've been really loving so far is called Touch Press. Touch and it press. is um, it's about classical music. So they have a bunch of classical music performances, but it splits the screen up. So you see a video of like a pianist or a symphony or you know an orchestra playing a symphony. And you'll see a video of the actual you know musicians performing the work. But then you also see a scrolling representation of the score so mm-hmm. you can kind of follow along with the score a little bit and then it also shows um, kind of like a heat map so if it's a if it's a piano player they show like every time he's pressing a key there's like a graphic representation oh. of that so you can appreciate like how fast and how like over all over the keyboard he is and kind of appreciate some of the expertise there um, if it's a symphony they have a you know a graphic representation of every player in the symphony and then those um, little 
points of light will like light up as that player is playing and they get brighter if they're pl- if that section's playing louder. So it's really cool. It's like a new, more immersive way to sort of like watch classical music. Um, I love it. I really, really love it. So I was I was showing my kid because he watches a lot of little Einsteins and they have, you know, classical music in there. It was too boring for him, but um like he was just like, Oh, I'm just supposed to watch this orchestra play for like, you know, twenty minutes without <laughs> stopping. Like that's crazy. And I'm like, Okay, whatever. But it's great. I, I've I had it on a lot of the time while I was uh while I was typing. So it's it, I really like it. Check that one out. It's called Touch Press. I don't know why it's called that, but it's fun. We should uh, we'll do some more discussion of uh, Apple TV apps and up, up uh, future episodes. And also, this is like with any new app store, the developers are trying to figure out: is there a market there? What can they do with it? And uh, I, I've already seen developers saying, "Hey, we already shipped one point one, you know," and it just came out because they were working with either a simulation or they mm-hmm. had a pre-release device. And just in the few days since they had an actual thing, they made changes they pushed it to the store and the store pushed it out so we're going to see um some rapid iteration there too i hope absolutely it's good well uh let's wrap up this episode of the Macworld podcast the apple tv episode uh and then uh we'll be soon talking very likely about the ipad pro it's ipad pro season time folks oh uh, boy i don't think we'll get more computers this year though there's been years and apple has done some really weird late ones and i think october is the latest they've gone so we're probably through the hardware announcements for this year right don't you think? Yeah, the PC World crew was asking about that because, I mean, Intel was slow with the new chipsets and then Apple doesn't, you know, jump on the new chipsets like right away like some of the, you know, uh, PC OEMs do. So, But the PC OEMs all have the newest, um, I'm totally blanking on the name of the chipset. So, you know, they're coming, but yeah, I doubt that we'll get them in 2015. So. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's, and that's okay. We, uh, you know... <laughs> We uh, really could use a little time to catch up. <laughs> yeah, we'll get some. We'll get some different guests on later in the year. I'm sure we'll talk about some different uh, thematic topics as we go on. And uh, there's a, there's still a lot to talk about. If you how, have ideas, let us know. How to chop onions on your iPad because the Gorilla Glass will let you do that. So for uh, when you're making your Thanksgiving dinner and uh, things like that, Susie, a pleasure to talk to you as always. Thank you. Uh, uh, send me my good luck so that as the uh, piles are driven. 15 feet into the ground to support my house that uh, I don't lose my mind. And uh, <laughs> if I haven't, if I haven't gone around the bend after two days of that, I'll be back next week. Uh, so I've been Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor to Macworld, and this has been the Macworld podcast for November 4th, election day in America, 2015 episode 481. We welcome your feedback. As you know, talk to us on Twitter, Find us at Macworld.com or email us at podcast at Macworld.com and uh, we can answer questions and talk about topics of interest to you as well. Thanks, folks, for listening and we'll be back next week.